0: Deep pattern, downfield,
1: touchdown Miami! What a throw Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we have a very, very, Very special guest joining us to talk Dolphins and the latest draft buzz, Peter Schrager of the NFL Network. Good morning, football, and on set during the draft in two weeks in Cleveland. He'll tell us about the trades Miami has made and their ability to control the draft board. Plus, we'll play our first game this draft season of If This, Then That. All of that and more on this very special edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's
0: another Miami Dolphins
1: Play the Hits, rule number one of radio and podcasting. Let's get right into my interview with Peter Schrager. And I am thrilled to be joined now by the host of NFL Network's Good Morning Football. You can catch that fantastic program Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. He'll be part of NFL Network's on-location coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft in Cleveland, April 29th through May the 1st, Peter Schrager. Peter, what's up, man?
0: What's up, big dog? I came on the uh, podcast last year at the Combine, and it was a little different feel and time. It was pre-pandemic, and uh, all we were talking about, I think, was Tua or Herbert. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we have our answer, and we can dig into 2021 now as well.
1: That was one of my favorite conversations of the year because, again, you know, you do these two mock drafts a season, and that's where I want to kind of start this podcast off is – You talk about how you do the one mock draft, you get the criticism that comes back your way, you kind of fix it based upon that criticism from what you get around the league, but I want to ask you, Peter, to give you kind of a chance here to, on the official Dolphins podcast, kind of clear the air here, because on behalf of Dolphins Nation, Peter, allow me to apologize for that response, and just make it a point that this is a very, very thirsty and passionate fan base, so... You, you had Rashawn Slater going through number six overall. You had the interaction. Just tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I'll give
0: you the backstory yeah. on it. So for the listeners at home and the viewers of this amazing uh, Zoom session we're doing, my process with the mock draft is I am on my phone all day long. I don't scout talent. I never had a scouting background. If you showed me two offensive tackles from two completely different schools, I might not even be able to tell you the difference. It's not what I do. What I do is I do really well with this. And I text people around the league and I text GMs and all 32 of them interact with me in some way. And I speak with evaluators and then I try to get inside info on each team, what they're looking to do. Okay. So like, what are the dolphins looking to do? What are we going to do? Then I put the first mock, mock draft out. When you put that thing out in the public and you're on good morning football and it's on in every 32 buildings, you start getting feedback. And it's from people who might have, worked for the Dolphins in the past it might be worked for the Dolphins currently it might be from feedback from people who say oh I know Brian Flores I used to work with him up in New England he he won't like that type of player he's like this." that's when you start informing things and you start shaping your thoughts and you start getting little tips from people who maybe did not come out of the woodwork for nothing but wanted to help you and guide you as the accuracy goes I would look at my mock drafts the last 10 years the last one that comes out I'm as accurate as anybody the first one that comes out I'm way off the wall. So I put some things out there, and I put Rashawn Slater to the Dolphins, and we could discuss it, and the initial fan base from Dolphins fans wasn't anger necessarily, but depression and hysteria (laughs) and how dare you uh, shock, awe, the fact that they would go from 3 to 12 to 6 to get what many people have as the second-best offensive tackle in this draft. It was not welcomed with fond feelings from the Dolphins faithful. And I'll tell you what fins up. I appreciate that. The passion was real and I'm here for it. I cannot wait to discuss it now.
1: I mean, I think I'll speak for the entire Dolphins fan base when we can say that you've been one of the bigger proponents of the Dolphins and (laughs) and hyping us up the last couple of years. So we definitely appreciate that. I think where some of that hysteria comes from is you have this young quarterback. We've seen other teams around the league, a team in our division here, surround their young quarterback with some talent at the skill positions. And they see that maybe they want to go heavy in that direction. And this is a good draft for it. But the Dolphins do wind up in that sixth spot because of some clever pre-draft wheeling and dealing by Chris Greer and company. What do you make of Miami's pre-draft trades? And what is the league saying about the Dolphins' ability to really kind of do what they please with the draft board?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, they collect these picks. They move up, they move back. It's all great now. It's not going to be great if at number six you're sitting there and Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase get taken four and five. And then this whole vision of, well, we did this whole move to get to six because we thought that, did it. I mean, When you're at three, Travis, you know you can get your guy. When you're at six, you don't know you can get your guy, and you don't know what Atlanta's doing. You don't know what Cincinnati's doing. So it's great, and you pick up the extra draft picks, and we love collecting draft picks, and that's all great. But all right, we're a year removed. Okay, Tua, he played nine games. Austin Jackson showed flashes. The corner out of Auburn, you tell me. I don't know if he was a standout last year. He had three first-round draft picks. This year, you'll have two first-round draft picks. Some point, these guys got to hit, and you've got to make an impact right away. And if you have the number three overall pick, and you're gifted that from the Tunzel trade to trade back, and then trade up, and then to get a little cute with the order and say three, no, but twelve, no nah, we'll go six. That's all I'm saying. I, four and five are Falcons and Bengals right now. I don't think they're going quarterback. So if you're so confident sitting at six that you're still going to get your guy, you better like three of these prospects that aren't quarterbacks. I'm just fascinated with all the maneuvering. If it does all work out, I know I'm on the Dolphins podcast and it's team and all that stuff. I think it's okay for me to question. I think that's fair because at the third overall pick, if you really want Kyle Pitts, you go and you take him. And at third overall, if you really want Jamar Chase, you go and you take him. To do all this dancing with the order, it kind of feels like you're dancing with the devil a little bit. And the devil could be the NFL draft.
1: You mentioned Tua, Austin Jackson, Noah Igbenogany. The, the Dolphins led the NFL with rookies taking snaps last year, over 4,000. Won 10 games in the process. And again, like you mentioned, a pipeline of draft picks coming down here in future years. A pick Next year, two picks in 2023. Future twos and threes. I mean, like you mentioned, the draft picks, they just keep coming. But I want to dive into something you said there, Peter, about the possibility of quarterbacks only going one, two, three, and then a, a stop there at the quarterback position. I'm curious, do you have it like most people where it's Lawrence, Wilson, and then who is that number three guy you think at this point? And then what do Atlanta and Cincinnati, like? where do you lean for those two picks so we can kind of assess what Miami has here at number six?
0: I think this is where it gets really cool. I think it's Lawrence and Wilson. I think right now Mac Jones is the leader in the clubhouse in San Francisco, but that could easily be Fields or Lance. So let's say those. we've got quarterback one, two, three. I don't know San Francisco's plans. I'm very close with John Lynch. I worked with him at Fox. He has not told me. Kyle Shanahan, I have a relationship with. He has not told me. I honestly don't think, as we record this in the second week in April, I don't think they're 100% sold on a quarterback just yet. And I don't think the Jets are either, by the way. But let's just say, for argument's sake, so now you got Atlanta at four. They've got Matt Ryan under contract. Matt Ryan can still play football. They could take their quarterback of the future, stack the quarterback position, go forward there. But what if there's a team that likes Kyle Pitts even more than the Miami Dolphins? What if there's a team that likes Kyle Pitts more than my, but just doesn't want the Dolphins to have them and says, you know what, we can offer even better draft capital. That's where it gets tricky. Cincinnati at five, they have needs. But I think Atlanta, Cincinnati, those two teams, when you say you're going to trade behind them, you've got to be awfully certain. And you might say, if you're the Dolphins, well, we love Chase. We love Pitts. If Pitts is off the board, we'll take Chase. But you better be okay with having a plan C. When you've got two teams in front of you and a lot of teams who might be wanting to trade up in front of you to get those two guys, you might have to start wrapping your head around Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater or, God forbid, Jalen Waddle or, God forbid, Devontae Smith. And I don't know if Dolphins fans are sitting there doing flips if, if it ends up being Devonte Smith. Uh, you tell me, what's the reaction? If it's, not, if it's not one of these two guys, Chaser Pitts, are Dolphins fans doing jumping jacks so happy to get the third wide receiver or third pass catcher off the board?
1: I mean, I I appreciate the perspective, because like you mentioned, from the Dolphins fan perspective, what I see every day, what you got to dive in there for a little bit after Mock Draft 1.0, was that folks are really excited about the potential of those pass catchers, the Chase, the Pitts, the Waddle, the the Smith, you know, any of the four would would seem to please most, but I'm curious what your takeaway is from that group of skill players, and you can go ahead and group Sewell and Slater, and maybe the top defender in this class too, because, you know, Brian Flores isn't going to just do what, you know, Chalk tells him to do. He's going to take the player he believes in best and Chris Greer and their entire staff. That's their modus operandi. So who do you like of that group among the chase, the waddle, the pits, Sewell, Slater? Maybe it's Micah Parsons. Maybe it's, I don't know, Caleb Farley, whatever the top cornerback might be. Which of that group do you think really stands out above the rest? Maybe in the league's eyes, in your eyes, just kind of walk us through that.
0: Yeah. So the insight I got from this first mock draft is that there is no miles. This isn't the class for that, especially at six overall. So you're out on defensive end their defensive tackle or linebacker corner certain gets great write-ups and he might be an NFL superstar. Do you want a corner at six? Akuda went three last year. It's been done. Teams do draft corners. This side Denzel Ward went four. if there's anyone at certain, I think he's going to be the first one off the board. And you can't can't shake a stick at that. But that's not Miami's needs. Miami's got a great defensive backfield. So then it comes down to offensive tackle because you just take them when you can get them. And, you you know, I know Hunt played well last year too. But if you can add another young offensive lineman to protect Tua, you got to consider it. And then it comes to the wide receivers. So Pitts and Chase, they're both viewed as 1A guys, both of them, top five, top six, whatever you want. The offensive tackles are interchangeable. Sewell and Slater depends on what your preference is. And I think there's a big drop off after that as far as wide receivers, corners, defensive ends, and running backs and the rest of the positions. It is a quarterback draft. It is a wide receiver, two guys really, in Chase and Pitts, if you want to consider Pitts a wide receiver. And then it's two offensive tackles. That's how most teams have their board set as far as top five, six, seven prospects go.
1: We're talking NFL draft Miami Dolphins with Peter Schrager of the NFL Network. And Peter, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the feeling around the Dolphins acquiring all this draft capital. And, and for four years, in four years of drafts, if things stand the way they are right now, which they probably won't because we've been so active, but in four years, Miami would have had eight draft picks if you go from 2020 through 2023. And now we're seeing, you know, Jacksonville goes out and trades Jalen Ramsey and acquires all this draft capital. The The Jets trade Jamal Adams, get all this draft capital. Teams are kind of starting to do a little bit more of this. Let's let's reset, let's knock back the books and get the draft capital. Is that kind of a precedent set here by the Miami Dolphins? And is the league looking at the Dolphins as like kind of a blueprint for how to rebuild the franchise?
0: That's the opposite, right? You got the Rams model, which is we're all in every year. And then you've got the Dolphins model where it's like we're not only in this year, but we're gonna consider next year and the year after. I think here's the truth of the matter. Brian Flores isn't going anywhere. This guy could have easily been coach of the year this year. He is one of the most respected men in the league, let alone head coaches. And if things go a little differently against Las Vegas, if things go a little differently, obviously against Buffalo, you're talking about a team that might've made a run through the playoffs. I, I, I think that they're set up at the coaching position. I think quarterback, they like Tua, obviously. he If they didn't at number three overall, we'd be talking quarterback as a possibility for the Dolphins. They trade out of that spot. Um, And now it's finding all the right picks to do it. At some point, this was the Cleveland Browns situation for years where they were just trading back and loading up picks. At some point, you have to draft these players. And they can't just be fictional. We have a first-rounder next year. You have to actually deliver. So I'm curious to see what we get from Austin Jackson. I'm curious what we see. And you'll know the pronunciation better, and it's insulting to the kid. But as the Auburn corner, what do you know?
1: Igbenogany.
0: And I know his parents are both incredible athletes as well. And his story is great. And he's supposed to be an awesome kid. So I apologize for not being able to pronounce the name. It's that's amateur hour, (laughs) but at some point he needs to be, if he's a first round, he needs to be a starting corner in this league. And he needs to be a guy who steps up. Austin Jackson needs to be that guy. So at some point you start drafting these guys and it's not year one, but they start developing and you have your core. And this is, you know, I'd include Christian Wilkins. I'd include some of the other guys. This is what you're basing your team on, not the draft picks or the free agents or the other auxiliary pieces that you've had are as leftovers from a different regime.
1: And it's certainly been a point of emphasis. You mentioned Christian Wilkins, these guys that love football that come, you know, first in last out, Peter, I'll give you all the cliches you want to hear about for these guys, but it does ring true. With a lot of these dolphins players, Flores and Greer, both really prefer guys that just, Love playing football. You see it in the way the team kind of interacts with each other. Every time I asked a player last year about playing with this team, they just lit up and said, we've had so much fun this year. So it's definitely a point of emphasis. Like has been acquiring the draft capital. And I heard this idea mold over multiple times on the podcast of a couple of your colleagues in Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, the Great Move the Sticks podcast. Got to yeah, listen to awesome. that podcast. And the idea of team building that it might be more nowadays of a two year approach where you kind of assess the classes as a whole. And it reminds me of going back to, you know, last season, the receiver class was so deep this year's is too, but Miami went and kind of rounded out the trenches. And now you come into another draft class this year where the receiver's really good looking, right? So what do you make of that approach? And are there some benefits of doing it that way? Are other teams kind of doing that two year approach? What do you think about that?
0: Well, this year was so weird because of the COVID situation. So you had a lot of players, like a Sewell, who didn't even play this year. So you're almost like, all right, we have no combine. You didn't play last year. The last time you took the field was 2019, and it was in November or whatever. Like, it's very curious this season's draft. A lot of it's going to be trusting tape and then going with your gut. So I like where the Dolphins sit in the draft. Six and 18, I think you're going to get two great players. And the way this draft class is looking, as I've said it, no elite pass rushers, and that's insulting because who knows? Maybe Micah Parsons comes in or Ronnie, one of these, Ronnie, whatever his name is, uh, out of Oklahoma, he comes in and he lights it up and w- what are we talking about? Who are we? But I don't think a pass rusher goes in the top 10, which is un- which is completely rare for this league. There's two really valued offensive tackles and there's two pass catchers and then there's just like this great, great, massive receivers that's going to be in that next wave. And I look at it like last year where – it was Jefferson and it was Ayuk and then you had Van Jefferson. You had all these guys. This kid Kadarius Tony out of Miami. If a team wants a receiver, he might go before Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle. The hype on him right now. Everyone loves what he brings. Rondell Moore out of Purdue. He might be the pick at eighteen. If you don't go receiver or pass catcher at six, these are types of guys that names were not being mentioned much in the pre-draft process until April, and now they're almost given that so they're going to be first-round picks. So. Very interesting wide receiver class, a lot like last year's, where you had the big names. But don't be shocked at the end of the first round to get some guys that haven't been talked about as much who could also go there.
1: Kadarius, Tony, and Rondell Moore, that's that's impressive stuff here. Because, I mean, there's several other receivers you could point to and say that guy could come in his first year and contribute big time as well. I wanted to ask you this because you kind of mentioned this in that last answer about Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase not playing football in 2020. How does that? How does the opt-out situation, the scenario this year with this unique COVID season? How does that kind of weigh in teams' minds in terms of how they approach this draft with te- players that haven't played football in almost two years, Peter?
0: You, you gotta, you gotta respect the decision, and yet it's frustrating for a lot of these teams because they just don't have the database. Like, you know, we had uh, Gregory Rousseau from Miami on the show today on Good Morning Football, and he was excellent, and he's great, and everything you hear out of Miami, is awesome. He's played one year of college football, Uh, uh, you know, and it's like, it's tough. Like, what do I do with this? What do I do? And it's not any, his mom's a COVID nurse. This guy had every reason you don't hold it against him. But if there's a player that's got three years of film, that's healthy and has shown that he can do it. Maybe that's the safer pick. And you're not taking as much of a swing on a guy who maybe played one year. Sewell, look, it's very raw. The footage, it's amazing. He's athletic, but he's raw. He's not a polished product yet. So if you're taking him with a top six pick, as the Dolphins might, are we sure he can play right away? And are we sure we are 100% confident that this guy is going to make an impact for this team and is on the right thing? Without last year's footage, it makes it a little harder. I will say this. Jalen Waddell is a prospect that I'm really interested in because here's a guy who not only played during the COVID season but had an outstanding year. But he went down with a bad ankle injury week five. The rest of the film that he put together in the next weeks was not outstanding and it wasn't excellent. I have heard overwhelming praise and it's not dismissing the guys who didn't play, but almost a backhanded compliment or a way to say multiple teams have told me that they love that Waddle played through that injury and played in the national championship thing. And no matter what was not, you couldn't drag him off the field. I think that stuff's really interesting. And I will see after the draft for the guys who decided not to play, whether teams consciously or unconsciously, whether that weighed into some of the decisions of their position groups of who they took over the others.
1: Yeah. I think both those Alabama guys get big, not, a big, you know, boost at the draft board for their work ethic and their, mm-hmm. and their ability to just you know, love football. It's a big deal for these guys. And maybe it is the receiver position here. One more question for you, Peter. And you talked about Rondell Moore, Kadarius Tony, maybe Jalen Waddle goes receiver. Number one, who the hell knows, but mm-hmm. if you could for- forecast one big surprise on night one, what would that be? <sighs>
0: Big surprise, night one. It's on the
1: spot, I know. I apologize.
0: No, that's what we do. I think there's going to be a, a big trade up in the top for one of the quarterbacks. So here's how it's going to go. You're going to get your first three, and there might be a shocker in there. The, the Niners might take Trey Lance, right? And then you're suddenly looking at teams like Denver, teams like Carolina, who I still think might be in the quarterback market, teams like Chicago at 20, teams like New England at 15. And then you've got teams that have their quarterbacks, but might be thinking about the future, a new wing, uh, I'm sorry, a Seattle, you know, who knows what their future is at the quarterback position. Russell Wilson had his whole thing this year. Uh, Houston Texans, they're not in the first round. Maybe they want to get back in the first round. I think you're going to be surprised and see that there's going to be a big trade up front and it's going to be for one of those quarterbacks. I just have no idea who it's going to be and which quarterback it is they're lusting after.
1: You see a big smile on my face, Peter, because just the, the intrigue, the surprise of draft night. Let a- me ask you real
0: quick, because I know that this is the Dolphins thing. And everything. What is the temperature on Tua as quarterback of the future? When they traded and made all these moves, was there anyone in that fan base who said, are we sure on Tua? Because I'll tell you, I get a lot of slack for Dolphins fans, not only for giving them Rashawn Slater, but for me saying, the biggest of moments, they went to Fitzpatrick. What do you want me to tell you?
1: Can I assign you some homework? Yeah, so tell I me, a,
0: don't tell me to watch the Arizona game. I've seen the Arizona game. <laughs> yeah, but
1: what else? That's it. actually perfect you mentioned that. I did a podcast last week where I broke down Tua's game and and got quotes from people around the business, you know, the the Dan Orlovskys, the Trent Dilfers, the Kurt Warner's. Got a quote from Fitzpatrick and, and Flores on there. And Good I broke down That's his cool. game as well. Yeah, thank you. And I, I really went in on my belief personally in Tua and I think the fan base resonates with that. I think you know, we've we've all kind of developed this trust for Flores and Greer, and if what they say goes, and you know who are we to question those guys? That's that's you. kind of my my takeaway. You know? I hear you. And so with with Tua, I see this guy that was he excelled at mitigating free rushers. His accuracy was on point in college. The ball came out quick. He has that quick release. So I think there's offenses you can definitely build and succeed around Tua in this league. I would highly recommend checking out that podcast. I got passionate, as you guys love, on Good Morning Football. I was yelling into my microphone by myself, talking to myself as I do on the podcast here. It was a fun podcast. I would check that one out. But the belief in the fan base is very strong and very high for Tua.
0: And I would take the same same line on that. If Flores and Greer knew they had the three pick, and it's not like we haven't seen teams move on after one year. We saw what Josh Rosen what the Cardinals did. They're not looking to protect right. their draft pick from last year. They're safe. They're looking to win games. And if they looked at this entire draft class, and that includes Fields and Mac Jones and Zach Wilson and even Trevor Lawrence, who I don't think they're, they would have possibly gotten, but at least they looked at it, and they said, we're comfortable trading out of the top five, and we're going to let it play as it is. We got our guy. I don't think it's because they're protecting their own reputations as player evaluators. I believe they truly believe in Tua. Let's see how it goes this year.
1: They believe in development. They believe in their own process as well. And don't forget, they have flexibility in future years with more t- multiple draft picks, yeah, too. So they're not true. painted in any kind of corner here. Peter Schrager, you said it all, man. Good morning, football, on NFL Network, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. You can see him as part of NFL Network's on-location coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft in Cleveland, April 29 through, through May the 1st, just two weeks away. Peter, thank you again so much. We really, really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate it. My main responsibilities on that draft will be nights two and day three, which to me are what every draft Nick loves. And I I hope you guys watch. And to all the Dolphins fans out there know that I have nothing but love and I love the NFL. I'm so passionate. I was a fan long before I was working this thing. I love when you guys tweet at me. I love when you have comments on the mock draft. I'd ask and encourage as much as you can. It's really fun for me.
1: We're going to have this on YouTube. Peter has John Offerdahl as his background. For those listening to just the audio version right now, he wore a Devontae Parker jersey for me last year in I interview, too. Come so, on. Peter, fins up, baby. I appreciate it so much, Peter.
0: Always bring it. You're the man. And away he
1: goes, Peter Schrager of the NFL Network, a very fun, insightful interview where he told us a little bit there about Chris Greer, Brian Flores, the Dolphins' belief in Tua Tongo-Vailoa, the acquisition of all the draft picks, but also some interesting notes and nuggets around the draft. The Rondell Moore and Kadarius Toney potential mid-first round range. That's pretty interesting. Haven't really heard that from any other sources, but you just can't get much better than the source that is Peter Schrager. You'd heard him talk there about the way he develops his mock draft. I just have so much respect for the way he goes about that because it's not about trying to finagle what you think might happen or maybe you have a favor to a friend or there's ego involved. He's trying to gather information, put it out there, and then regather information as this long process of trying to get accurate picks for each team and he usually does it every year. Now, you heard him talk there about last season and, and trying to debate between Tua and Herbert. And he kind of had a mea culpa there on the podcast. But for the most part, I mean, he's been super accurate and super in tune with what not just the Dolphins and, and teams you know close to us are with the entire league. And so, Peter Schrager, we really, really appreciate Having him on the podcast. What a great resource that is for us to get here on Drive Time. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with a segment that I kicked around a little bit, was thinking about putting on a separate podcast, but I think we can go ahead and extend this one a little more. And are you guys silly? I'm still going to send it. It's one of my favorite games, if this, then that. It comes down to the draft. And basically, what it is, is taking a look at the options of perceived team needs at each pick of the draft and who you could fill out in those spots. And I don't think this disqualifies other potential positions because, you know, while I think that receiver pass catcher running back a front seven player, whether it's an off ball linebacker an edge player, a conversion hybrid of both of those offensive line, a developmental safety and a Sam linebacker are my top needs, but that doesn't necessarily wipe out the discussion about potentially being a different player off the board, you heard Peter Schrager talk there about defenders maybe not having that status that status of a top 10 pick, maybe not a top 10 pass rusher. He said Patrick Sertan's the top cornerback, but is he going to go inside the top 10 so you never know what could happen we'll see what does happen but in my opinion those are the top level needs. and so kind of taking a look at how the draft could unfold and this is the beauty of doing all those mock drafts all those simulations you do on the DraftNetwork.com, the premier draft site and premier draft simulator out there it gives you an idea of the different variations the different ways the draft can unfold and so when i was on my six-hour flight back to south florida of course, I was doing mock drafts. When I'm was, when i sitting on the couch at 10 o'clock at night watching the Mariners squander another lead, I'm doing mock drafts on my phone because it, that exercise builds in the repetition and the feel for what could happen. And not that it matters what I think or what I would do on the mock drafts, but it gives me an idea for how to prepare for draft night. So I look at... That number six pick, and you heard Peter talk about it, there's so much value. there, both at the tackle and receiver position, so you think about who that might be, and again, receivers, we're going to call Kyle Pitts a receiver in this exercise because he is basically an offensive weapon, but Chase, Pitts, both Bama receivers, I think all four of those guys really, in my opinion, are deserving of top 10 pick status. Uh, Penae Sewell... I remember texting friends about him as a true freshman saying this kid is absolutely elite already as a 19 year old true freshman at Oregon, or maybe he was 18 years old. I can't remember, but he is just such a good player. Rashawn Slater had a great tape against Chase Young. Some folks think he's the top tackle on the board. So, I think if you go for the tackle in that position, that pretty much takes offensive line off the board for a couple of picks, if not for maybe a center, an interior guy that can really give you that high profile, like a Landon Dickerson or a Creed Humphrey. But if it's a receiver at that position, you then start to think about what happens at pick 18. So if you supplement the sixth pick or the pass catching with that sixth pick, maybe you come back around 18 and maybe it is one of those top defenders because in a year where Maybe we don't have a defender go off the board in the top 10 or 12 picks. Maybe you do have a Micah Parsons who can play off the football, who can come down off the edge. He came into Penn State as a pass rusher, a defensive end, who converted to linebacker. Maybe he's the pick there. Maybe you go and continue to fortify the secondary. You get a Trayvon Morig out of TCU, the the rangy free safety. Maybe J.C. Horn falls and you continue to just load up in the secondary. Maybe it's on the offensive line. Tevin Jenkins is one of my favorite players in this class. He's a bona fide, nasty, mean, mauling right tackle that would force you to make some decisions in terms of how you move uh, the, the other players on the offensive line. But I think it just continues to give you more size, more aggressiveness, more man gap scheme blocking that you, you love here in Miami. So those are some of the options you have there. Maybe it's Christian Derisaw out of Virginia Tech as well. There's plenty of options on the offensive line. I like those spots, but you kind of see how the balance there of where the value of these positions could come off the board. And then you come back at pick 36. And I have running back Javante Williams here, but I'm not sure that he makes it to that position. Um, To me, he's in that same group with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and maybe even running back one. I'm getting really close to having Williams as RB1, a valedictorian in high school, a guy that was a linebacker in high school who just, you can see it by the way he pass protects. He really knocks out linebackers that try to get after Sam Howell there at the University of North Carolina, their quarterback. And on top of that, he averages you know a billion yards per carry and had led the nation in, in yards after contact and broken tackles. He catches the football. He's speedy. He's powerful. He's shifty. All those things. To me, he falls maybe in that 18 range with Najee Harris, maybe even Travis Etienne, but maybe at 36, maybe somewhere in between if there are some trades up and down the board. Plenty of options at that spot. But as for 36, I do think that if you don't go edge or defensive front seven player at number 18, as you heard Peter talk about how he doesn't think any of those guys go in the top 10, I think 36 kind of becomes a sweet spot for those types of players, whether it's Boogie Basham, who I think I'm probably higher on than most people, but I think that he's a great fit and a damn good player who at one point had 23 consecutive games with a tackle for loss at Wake Forest, which was more than double the second-place finisher in that category with 10 straight games at that point of the season. Maybe it's Peyton Turner out of Houston, who again another one of these 270-pound guys who had a sub 7-3 cone time, who can angle, who can. We heard John Ledyard talk about him on the pod, on the Edge Preview podcast. This guy is big. He's rocked up. He's quick. He's athletic. He tested super well with the jumping metrics. So he's an option to look at there. Maybe it, it continues to be that receiver position if you didn't attack it at number six or number 18, as you heard Peter mention. He thinks Rondell Moore and Kadarius Tony could be round one picks. What about Elijah Moore, who's kind of in that same frame of mind, the shifty, speedy, really good at creating separation slot receiver who can play both inside, outside, and give you some punt return there as well. Maybe you go back to that linebacker mold, the edge position, a Zayvon Collins in that position, a guy that can play, again, off ball and on ball rush the passer, cover, and do some work in the running game as well. And then you come back to pick 50. And that's where I kind of start to think about opening up my options here. And again, every every spot in the draft, you can do this. But at this position, maybe you think about who's the best player among for instance, my top running back at that spot would be Michael Carter. I think he's probably the fourth running back off the board. If you look at the receiver spot, maybe Amari Rogers enters the conversation there with both both the, the Elijah Moore and, and Rondell Moore. But again, hearing from Peter, they'll go long before that. On the offensive line, does Landon Dickerson stick around that long? Does Creed Humphrey stick around that long? What about Trey Smith out of Tennessee? Some good options there at that position. Quinn Minerts out of uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, who had a hell of a senior bowl, a 320-pound on tackle in college who kicked inside a place in center as well. Maybe you go at that linebacker spot and, and pass on the idea of Zayvon Collins, and you come around at 50 with Baron Browning out of Ohio State, who I've seen some very well-respected draft Knicks have him as LB2 in this draft. Maybe you enter the discussion about possible safeties. Tyree Gillespie out of Missouri, you heard me talk about him. This kid, there is a, a one-drive sequence where he runs down Jalen Waddle off the edge on a sweep, and then later in the possession, Stonewalls Najee Harris at the goal line showing both the versatility, the range, and the physicality at that position. So there, so many options exist. That's why I love this team having so many draft picks. And really, something I talked about last year on the podcast was having more resources than actual needs which allows you to really focus on getting the best players that fit your program that can come in and really help build the culture and establish you know having talent on the football field while doing that so many options in this draft class man I you heard me talk about it with Peter my the smile on my face as we talk about this stuff it's two weeks away I cannot wait for it I'm back in South Florida doing these podcasts from South Florida once again so very very excited let's go ahead and button up the podcast right there before we do that first day back in south florida went to the pool for about an hour and i am already florida man once again got the nice nice little lobster tan to start but that'll even out turn into a good base but how great is it having 85 degree temperature and sunshine in the middle of april it was like 50 to 50 mile an hour winds and 60 degree temperature back home where i'm from in eastern washington so Happy to be back. Glad to be here. Remember, if you guys have not done so yet, go ahead and RSVP for the draft party at Hard Rock Stadium. You can also check that out on YouTube and Facebook as well. Going to have tons of fun hosting that party and that event, talking all things Dolphins draft and NFL draft with you guys on that event. We've got some more big guests coming up. We're going to continue these position by position previews. We're going to have a loaded draft week with a great crossover with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. I cannot wait for that podcast. We're going to be talking draft up until draft day on April 29th, and then continue to have analysis and reaction on the podcast here, as well as interviewing each of these rookies that come to Miami via the 2021 NFL draft. As for today's time, That is going to be my time. Continue to recommend F1 uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix. I have been flying through that. I'm now on season three. My goodness, that's one of the best shows I've ever seen. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Audible and the Fish Tank podcast as well as MiamiDolphins.com. And until next time... Thins up.